Hi, I'm Dan Benedictus and welcome to Desert Island Dicks, the show that sees you marooned on a desert island after a plane crash with the worst people and worst things imaginable. Who they are and why they're a dick is up to our guest and here to share their Desert Island Dicks with us today is comedian Rajiv Karia. Hi. Hi. Pleasure to be on the show. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. I'm currently in a duvet tent in um, my girlfriend's parents' house which I haven't left in a couple of days. <laughs> your tent is acoustically sound, but I can't actually see your face, so it's kind of adding a layer of mystery to the whole thing. Yeah. Well, kind of like like I, I'm, I don't want to be discovered, that kind of thing. <laughs> Secret correspondent. Yeah, you look a little bit like you're in hiding, but that's fine. <laughs> um, Rajiv, how did you find uh, choosing your choices for the island today? It, it was quite interesting. I, I realised, I, I think I'm the kind of person who tries not to dwell on the specific people and things I, I dislike so it was challenging mm. uh, but I think I managed to trawl out some particular example of people I kind of get under my skin to an extent mm. um, and also with the food and drink and stuff was kind of more unusual but I think I found a few things okay great well let's delve right into it who's going to be your first choice uh, my first choice is American right-wing conspiracy theorist and political pundit Dinesh D'Souza. Okay. So uh, Dinesh kind of exists in the family of people like Alex Jones, the people who are very conservative commentators, very sort of anti-Obama, mostly pro-Trump, mm. uh, but kind of so far right that they've kind of bled past reason and into just you know, conspiracy theories and whatever they feel might be true. And and Dinesh is kind of an example of that. He's said pretty much everything. He's the guy who um, compared a picture of Greta Thunberg to Nazi propaganda. He's uh, the guy who has sort of just said, he, I think he, he used to out gay people while he was at college. He... Um, he was a birther. He sort of a, a like chasing after Obama's birth certificate, mm. kind of like a classic inflammatory pundit. But my real reason for disliking him more than the rest of them is because uh, he's brown, <laughs> uh, and I, I, f I find it pretty embarrassing. Uh, for like a long time, there wasn't that many like Asian people on TV, mm. but those who were on TV were sort of representing in a good way, you know, TV comedians, actors, or whatever. And Dinesh was kind of the first example that showed us, like, oh, representation goes both ways. And um, he's kind of a villain. There can't be many. I mean, he must be in the, in the minority of that group. Yeah, but he's kind of um, he's kind of ushering in that age of, you know, like any minority group says, you know, when they're demanding equal treatment, will say things like, well, you know, we just want to be treated like everybody else. And he's come along and said, I, I just want to be loathed like everyone else. So it's like, yep, fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, it's bizarre. And also, I mean, because he was born in India, so he's come over to America, which again, sort of makes it seem more strange. You'd think if you if you sort of come over to a country, and then, you know, become a, a citizen of that country, you'd sort of be less hardline about these kind of things. But I, I don't know. But I guess to him, that's the the immigrant dream, like, come over, build up, build up an empire. <laughs> and then uh, use that empire to criticize anybody else planning to come over. Yeah. Yeah. Shut, get that get that door firmly shut. <laughs> and because he's pretty prolific, isn't he? He's kind of he's done books and whole films on things. I think there was one about how the left wing is actually closer to Nazism than than everyone thinks, and oh, has its roots in Nazism. Yeah, he's got this sort. He's kind of um, managed to put a decent suit and tie on it. But as soon as you start to get really into the readings, it's firmly tinfoil hat, no trousers. <laughs> it is. He it is some seriously bonkers stuff, and he's kind of he he's uh, I know his he did a film in 2016, which a lot of conservatives were like, yeah, it's a really good watch, and any kind of moderate film critics were like, well, it's the the rantings of a madman, and I don't know how this guy managed to turn on the camera. It's funny, isn't it? When I always think it must be so difficult to get a film made, but then sort of conspiracy theorists seem to be able to knock them out quite easily. I mean, obviously the quality is going to be a lot worse than than films we're used to seeing, but I mean, I'm surprised they could just scrape everything together. Or the, is it just because they're so desperate to have their opinions heard, they just just steamroller through it all? You got a good point there. They've got a really brilliant way of 
you know, all of these people, no matter how crazy they are, 100 million subscribers on YouTube mm. or like, you know, 2,000 videos or quite notably podcasts, they really can get the content out there. Mm. I guess if you're not concerned about how you sound or what people think of you, you've got a lot more time to focus on editing. <laughs> And I suppose, you know, I just want to put out some kind of vaguely lighthearted content maybe once a week. You know, I'm not driven by this sort of deep fury inside me. Maybe maybe that would see me go up the charts a bit further. Maybe the reason we've been marooned on the desert island is because the New World Order have sent us out for speaking out against the powers that be. So <laughs> Yeah. And I think, I mean, to be stuck on a desert island with him... It, you'd sort of probably start off thinking, right, I'm not going to engage with you too much. I'm just going to sort of... Try and get along. But then every now and again, you'd be like, do you really think that satellites are controlling us and, you know, making us into paedophiles or whatever, you know? I think he would find the most, like, minor things on the island. So say it's just the two of you and um, you, you sort of decide to draw a stick figure on a rock to have a third friend. And you'd call him, like, Rock Steve. And pretty soon Dinesh is going to be like... Have you noticed that Rock Steve has got a pretty weird skull shape? I don't know if I trust him because <laughs> of that. It's like, Dinesh, give it a rest, okay? It's just you and me. We don't need to find reasons to pick out, like, you know, he, he's not a front for, like, Pizzagate or anything like that. We don't have to worry. Mm. It's just a coconut. <laughs> um, I think, as well, one of, one of the scariest things about him was that he'd committed a federal crime but has been pardoned by Trump. And just, I mean, not to get sort of too dark or serious, but when you find out that people like this are getting, you know, pardons by the active president of the USA, I mean, that just adds an extra veneer of just scariness to it all, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind, it is kind of bizarre as as the line is blurred between, say, like, um, you know, like a shock jock, like someone who's just got a podcast who claims that they're not um, affecting real change. And then you've got someone like, Dinesh, who's kind of a bit like that, but he was also like a policy advisor for Reagan and stuff. And you realize like, oh, yeah, you can just get away with it, provided you've got the right sway. Yeah. Um, but I think he's such a fruit loop that he's hopefully not going to have an, make any sort of lasting damage just because no one's really going to take anything he says seriously. Mm. I mean, maybe you could hope that he'll eventually just run off into the sea because he'll be convinced that you've put cameras in all the palm trees or something like that. I mean, maybe maybe you'll be free from him that way. Yeah. That being said, it would be, that'd be a real shame because the man's bound to have some stories. <laughs> and, you know, when you're on the desert island, you think... You know what? After a while, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, Dinesh, tell the one again about Obama being a lizard person. Go on, <laughs> Re regale us with that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it would be quite good value. Truth becomes a bit more linear when you're on the island. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe you could see what you could get him to believe. You know, just come out with the most crazy stuff. Although it would probably turn yeah. out he's already written a book on it or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Dinesh D'Souza joins you on the island, and uh, who's going to be your second choice? Uh, my second choice is a man called M Matty Healy, mm -hmm. and he's the singer of a band called the 1975. Yes. And, and what makes him so awful? The thing about the 1975 is I've, I, don't, I don't want to take them away from anybody. I don't think, you know, if, if you like them, that's fine. But I hate them, and <laughs> he is sort of the, the, the head honcho, and he's just like... A bullshit machine. <laughs> he he he's kind of had this band that's become relatively successful, and he's decided that a big part of that is just forking out opinions on absolutely anything to anybody who'll listen, without really knowing anything. So he's sort of you name it, you name the kind of cringe rubbish. He he kind of went on a tirade against um, religious people for being allowed to be offended by anything. Uh, but uh, he said, w why can't I be offended as an atheist? And uh. it's just like, give it a rest, man. <laughs> like, just, 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 just do something else. He's just kind of an incredibly irritating soft lad that's kind of putting the rest of us soft lads to shame <laughs> with this sort of weird opinions on just about... It's just like, you don't have to have an opinion, Matt. You can just keep it to yourself. Just get back in the studio, make another album, mm. make some money. It seem seems to be going pretty well. Yeah, and he's sort of, what, he's probably in his mid to late 20s or something? Something like that. And, you know, they do very well. Nobody really knows why, mm. but they do. It comes to a certain point, you just think, like, what do you care about 
people, you know, sort of crowbarring his opinions and stuff. Like, you've already succeeded. Yeah. You don't need to drum up more controversy. The next album is it's going to sell. Yeah. It's, it's a it, it's a cash cow, <laughs> good or not. I think there's something really galling about someone who. I mean, I'm not saying that you can't have opinions when you're a certain age, but it's something like when someone's kind of really earnestly sort of explaining something to you when they're younger than you that just like really gets my back up. Oh, and they're God. like, yeah. well, actually, I think uh, it's actually like this, you know, and I, I know quite a lot about this stuff. And you think, oh, God, you, shut up. And there's absolutely no sense of, um, well, this is as far as I know. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm talking rubbish, but I read an article about, Mm. no, it's just firmly, I've got the facts, guys. Uh, I've read half a Kerouac book, and I'm pretty (laughs) sure I know about it. Yeah, I know no one's asked me this, but uh, I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, And I mean, also, there's never a decent perspective in it. I mean, and I wouldn't demand that of my pop singers. You don't have to have a message... Just get get the tracks down, yeah. fine. But it's he's effectively the worst kid in your year eleven English class, <laughs> who's sort of bending your ear about some rubbish, and, and the whole time there's just this incredibly lechy kind of obviously doing it all to get laid and impress women vibe, mm. which kind of takes away any. Uh, legitimacy might be too strong of a word. If, if you used to feel that to get to the point of success where you were allowed to lecture people, you had to be sort of a U2 or a Coldplay in their later years. You know, you had to get a certain level of fame before you could start sort of banging on about a, a, a subject or a cause, didn't it? But now it's like, yeah, straight out the traps. Here's, here's my thoughts. And it's like, come on, you, you know, just get a few albums deep, you know. Yeah, so maybe... maybe... Like, are you that bored of a music already? (laughs) I think I don't know that much about him because uh, I work for a commercial radio station that plays one of his songs, uh, or used to play one of them quite a lot, and that one song alone was enough to make me hate everything about them. So whenever there was an interview with him, I was never anywhere near it. Or, you know, or or, or if there's a magazine article, I just think, "Ah, well, it could prove me wrong, but I'm just going to swerve this. I think heavily he represents the school of indie that I am now too old for. And I think anybody has that as a lingering resentment of the the music that came just after they got out of their, uh, their, their peak interest. So maybe it's just a sign of me getting old mm. uh, and I wouldn't deny him to anybody, but I think it's confirmed. He's incredibly irritating on the bright side. I think on the Island, him and Dinesh would completely annihilate each other. Yeah, I mean, maybe they'd just be locked in combat so that you could kind of just get on and forage and do your thing and learn how to make fire and they'd just be sort of arguing. You know, they'd keep each other busy, cancel each other out maybe. Yeah, completely. And then eventually if one of them kills the other, Mm. I can sort of sidle in and be like, oh, 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 look what you've done. Yeah. Oh, no. All right, I'll get the fire going. We better better divvy him up. Although the flip side is they just keep locked in, in... conversation for eternity and you know it's just this background noise the island's never quite big enough for you to escape this sort of low level debate on anything that never stops and never gets resolved because i imagine as well people like this quite you know like dinesh d'souza it drives me as someone who doesn't necessarily care if other people believe he's right he just wants to keep having the opinion yeah you know it's not even about convincing people it's just about being having a platform to shout at people f- from yeah the man is a, is a content machine it's a book every two years it's constant talks but i guess if you mm. get that far away from really having anything meaningful to say you really can churn it out yeah <laughs> um, and it maybe it'd be nice to have the two of them like kind of having constant senseless debate because i'm presuming there's no twitter on the island so this would kind of give me some sort of access to that. I think Matt Healy as well, he's bound to write a few songs about his experience and he'll want to share them, won't he? Yeah, it'd be fun to have someone to jam with. Mm. Yeah, He's got a very grating voice to me. It's one of those, it's very, I mean, it's quite original sounding voice. It's just a weird sound, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I can't objectively criticise, I don't like the music. Lots of people don't like it and I think those people are right. But, a lot of people, stadiums of people, seem to like it, which is fine. Um, mm. 
Musically wise, the one thing that re- they did that really annoyed me was they. Um, I think somebody must have bought him a Talking Heads CD about three years ago, and uh, they performed. And he was thinking, "Oh, these guys are pretty good. How come no one's heard of these guys?" Um, <laughs> and so he thought it was a, it'd be a fun idea to do like I think an album, which was basically a massive Talking Heads ripoff. And they mm. put, did a performance on Jonathan Ross, which was honestly like a complete remake of the Stop Making Sense era of Talking Heads. He's in the big suit. He's got the the, the big like the the band is set up just like they did for the DVD of Stop Making Sense. And I was just watching it, thinking, like, there's there's taking influence from bands, and then there's just oh, I guess we'll just do exactly what they did. And yeah. um, that that'll be fine. Yeah, there's homage, and then there's just you know absolutely stealing the ideas. Yeah, I, I was just there desperately thinking. I wish David Byrne were a litigious man and not this lovely Zen New Yorker <laughs> that everybody likes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's already quite a heady combination you've got there. So, who's going to be your third dick on the island? Uh, my third dick on the island is or would be sort of an amalgamation or any of the. Um, poshest people that i went to university with okay um so i i I went i went to a state school and then i decided to go to bristol uni and i was told by quite a few people they're like you know there's quite a lot of posh people there's gonna be a lot of posh people there i thought yeah that's fine i I like posh people fine g-lays combed over hair whatever (laughs) uh it was only when i arrived there i realized that none of them had g-lays if anything, they they kind of dress just like the people that I knew from home. Mm. A bit more like Adidas vintage streetwear. A lot of harem pants and a lot of gap yard clothing. <laughs> and after about a month there, I realized what was going on. I was like, oh, these people are very rich, very posh, but they dress like they're not rich and posh. Mm. And they've all come back from gap years, so they're all wearing weird clothes that they've got from Thailand and Chile and stuff. Mm. And um, most of them were perfectly nice. Most of the people I met at uni were really great, regardless of what school they went to. But then there were these type of people who um, would... They almost always went to the top 10 country... Top 10 schools in the country. Mm. And they all dressed like bohemians and weird haircuts, weird clothes or whatever. But the top rule of their bohemianism was only ever hang out with people who went to the top 10 schools in the country. Right, Okay. And it was these weird false bohemians. We would off. We would either call them um, flat peak millionaires mm. or signet rings. Yeah. And these were just probably the worst people I've met in real life, just for their sheer oblivious nature of what they were doing culturally. Mm. I think you might call it cultural appropriation now, but it was of like from the upper classes to the working class. So. I don't know how, whether you could consider that appropriation. (laughs) It was just the most infuriating thing ever to see this guy sort of walking around, smoking rollies, wearing Adidas trackies with a signet ring on. Yeah, yeah, that's the giveaway. They're just, they were just really terrible, terrible people. And I imagine would be really awful on an island because you crash on the island and be like, oh, well, didn't we go to uni together? And then they're like, uh, yeah, uh, have you seen Chaz around anywhere? I think we're going to go We're gonna go hang out with Chaz. All right, cool, I'll see, um, see you later, yeah? <laughs> and they're always, uh, you know, it's kind of because if you only hang out with the same people who went to the same schools, uh, you know, the same sort of group of schools, you're always comfortable everywhere because you always know someone and it's sort of you're never out of place or you feel like you're never out of place. It gives rise to that sort of ownership of everything, doesn't it? The, 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 yeah, that's the really frustrating thing about these people is that you kind of just think, oh, you'll never be uncomfortable. Mm. You'll just do fine forever because <laughs> uh, you've got a lot of money and you've got a nice path laid out uh, and I, I wish you well. Uh, but also, I don't wish you well and I hope you fall down a ravine. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine in a sort of survival situation, they're either going to be very lazy and entitled and expect you to do everything for them, or they've been on sort of quite a lot of like Duke of Edinburgh or sort of cadet force leadership style programs and they're going to sort of, right, okay, well here's the thing, we've got to keep the morale up, so uh, here's how it's going to be and they'll kind of chivvy the chaps along. I mean, yeah, that would be great if they could establish a class system 
on the island pretty quickly because then I could be like, yeah, you know what? I do have a place. And I'm sure that some of those coconuts will trickle down to me eventually. <laughs> yeah, I think it's not going to be... It's not going to be great. And I mean, they're probably quite into the 1975, you know, up for getting stuck into a bloody good debate with Dinesh. Oh, yeah. You know, because uh, they, they've done a fair share of debating. I think they're probably going to find themselves agreeing with a lot of the things Dinesh says. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, Dinesh, for an Indian guy, is actually pretty, pretty good guy. Pretty nice guy. <laughs> yeah, he's got some quite interesting takes on things. I wasn't really expecting that. But uh, yeah, fair play, fair play. These were just... I, I think I've been pretty fortunate in that, like, throughout my life, I've never really had to spend too much extended time with terrible people. And the, you can say what you like, like, these kind of people at uni, they were terrible, but they genuinely didn't want to spend time with you. So it was fine. Mm. But um, it just gets under the skin, these people. And I think anybody who went to um, a red brick uni will have had plenty of experience with these types of people. They've existed for 50, 60 years. They're never going away. Their parents did it. Their kids will do it. Mm. Uh, and the cycle continues. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know really what to add to that. I completely agree with everything you're saying. <laughs> I think it's absolutely fair enough. Um, and yeah, as I say, I think those guys all together with you sort of on the island, it's just going to be just such a hotbed of opinions apart from anything else. So just... I mean, you're going to want to walk into the sea on your own, aren't you, for that, just to escape the debates? Maybe that'll be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I'll get there and I'll have this sort of survival instinct immediately and that'll be knocked out of me pretty within a few days. And I think going to get to like a lovely, balanced state of, oh, I'm just going to swim out into the sea because <laughs> I welcome death. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, Rajiv, mercifully, amongst the wreckage of the plane, there was some food and drink left over. Unfortunately for you, it's your least favourite food and drink in the world. What are they and why are they so bad? Okay, so the food one was um, a bit of a weird one for me because I'm a, I'm a lifelong vegetarian and it's not really any food that I dislike. I think I've got a pretty broad taste. I'll have a bit of anything. Um but so what I've decided to put on there is um, decadent meat meals. Okay. By that, I mean the kind of things that you see built on Facebook videos where they'll be like, right, we took this burger, we wrapped it in bacon, then we deep fried it in caramel frosting, then we wrapped it into a taco, <laughs> and then we put it on a pizza. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it feels like it's very much part of a sort of bro culture, isn't it? And I just don't... I mean, far be it from me to tell people how to eat meat. I don't really know what I'm doing in that world, but I know that that's wrong. Mm. I know that you're not supposed to do it like that. Every time I see a food programme and it's like man versus food or something like that, I just think one day it's going to be used as propaganda against the West. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's just kind of... Oh, yeah, just definitely. It just makes me just want to go and donate to UNICEF or something because I just think, oh, God, look at us. Is this where we've got to? Just like, here, here's a massive plate of meat that you'll never finish. Why don't you try and we'll film it? And, and then yeah. you know, sort of a, another food culture grows out. Of, I mean, culture in very big inverted commas. But... It just sort of spawns this thing. And when you see pizzas with like huge meatballs on top of them and sort of, you know, like sausage sausage stuffed crusts and stuff, it's just, yeah. oh, the humanity. I mean, I'm for, like, go, if you're hungry, eat. You want to chuck some onion rings on that burger? Go for it. But I think we're getting competitive with this now. We're like, right, this video's got to be even bigger. Yeah. And I'm saying, like, it is still, it doesn't have to be even bigger. I mean, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Uh, also, like, if you want to do it for food purposes, sure. I just really resent it being done for entertainment purposes. If you want to eat more, you know, eat as you feel, whatever. But this kind of, like, competitive thing that they're doing for, you know, Facebook videos or whatever, I just kind of can't see the point in it. You know, like putting hamburgers in the, in the crust of the pizza. Sure, you could, but should you? I mean, I I eat meat, but I mean, it just makes me feel queasy just thinking about this sort of this level of like. <laughs> you'd, yeah. you'd you'd never see it. You'd never see like a vegetarian YouTuber doing this, being like, "We took some carrots, we deep fried <laughs> it in some ranch dressing, then we threw some celery on there, and then we put it all in a big butternut squash." 
just when you thought you couldn't get any more that's when the spinach comes in <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's it's a peculiar it's a sort of fetish fetishization of it isn't it and it does feel like it's really sort of there's this like macho dick swinging thing about it like meat equals manhood and I, I, it's it's super weird that kind of I think it's quite refreshing to see people kind of moving away from that now because it's just like mm. if you want to eat meat by all means you know you do your thing I'm not going to tell you what to do but like why does it have to have this manly connotation why does it have to be something why can't it just be food you eat sausages because you want them you don't eat sausages because you're a man yeah I, and also this there's because with this kind of food there's a recognition a sort of openness about how it's not very good for you and it's not very nice really you know people go oh it's a bit dirty but you know and I get that like sometimes you want like a, a burger that's a bit disgusting when you're hungover or whatever I can, I can understand that but there's times when I think big chains like KFC have called something like the dirty chicken burger and I'm like I don't want my restaurant again restaurant in inverted commas to be using the word dirty with food they're like oh yeah the dirty stack fillet burger or something and you think when did this become okay it's a really weird thing that they do on both sides like dirty eating clean eating it's just like isn't it just eating isn't it just food just some food and a sauce. Yeah, the clean eating thing bothers me as well. I mean, that that doesn't... I mean, yeah, the idea of, like, it's so much more nuanced than just clean and dirty. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Just stacking things on top of each other, just different animals and for no good reason. I, I think I find it also... I kind of find it disrespectful because it's just like you don't have to layer it on. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with a steak on its own or like a pork chop on its mm. own. It doesn't have to be like wrapped in a different animal for it to be worthy. Yeah. It's fine. And it's that sort of, uh, there's like a bit of a smugness to it. You know, people go, oh yeah, have you uh, tried the land, sea and air burger from McDonald's? You get a fillet of fish, that's the sea, <laughs> and then you get the chicken burger, that's the, that's the air, and then you get a beef burger and you stack them all up. I don't want fish and beef burgers. and what? Come on, I mean, very clever on the word play, but you know. It's very existential. Maybe it's maybe we're all we're all very aware that we're going to die. We're eating this thing that's already died mm. and we're like quickly eat all of the burgers before I die, before I become the burger. <laughs> maybe this will be a sort of something that will die after we all kind of get out of this current lockdown situation. Maybe that's when we kind of emerge blinking back into civilization and think yeah, maybe I'll just have a sandwich. Maybe that, you know, maybe I don't need 17 animals on this burger. Yeah, and uh, what would you wash this down with? What would be your drink of choice on the island? I've I've chosen um, no sugar soft drinks. Okay, yeah. So when I say this, I don't mean um, like a Coke Zero or a Diet Coke. I mean those particular brands of drinks which they come in a can. They're usually made by some sort of startup, and it'll say something like grape flavor, zero sugar. And then you'll crack it open and it'll, it'll give you a nice sound as it cracks open. You think, oh, this is going to be loads of fun. It's a nice purple can, grape flavor, no sugar, nothing to feel bad about. And then you drink it and it's sparkling water mm. with, um, I, I, I think it would be rich to call it the taste of grape. It would be rich to call it the smell of grape. It's maybe like the vague memory of where a grape had once been. It is the the tiniest hint of grape flavour. Yeah, it, it sort of always tastes like, you know, when you've had a, like a bottle of Fanta or something and then you finish that and then you fill it up with water before you go out and there's the memory of something. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And it's, I think we all agreed as a society, I'm sure it was confirmed in stand-up in the 90s, that we hate this. <laughs> Nobody likes having the Ribena, the ultra-weak Ribena. We'd rather have water or acceptable level of Ribena. Yeah, exactly. And these startups are still launching it. And the annoying thing is, is they're all thinking, hey, you know what the market doesn't have? It doesn't have a soft drink, which has absolutely no sugar in it. Mm. And it's because the market doesn't want it. People don't want it. Mm. doesn't taste of anything. People hate it. Stop it. We've spotted a gap in the market for idiots who like good branding and happily pay £3.70 for some sort of vaguely <laughs> flavoured water. And they're always called things like these sort of startup 
snacks uh, or drinks, they're always like the something something company, it'll be the East London Beverage Emporium or something like that. They're, oh man, they don't just they won't just have a name like Breeze or Tang or something. It'll just be yeah, yeah. There, there's always something like cutesy about it, mm. and it's I I, it, I for the life of me I cannot fathom why they still get keep getting launched and why people keep making them because. I think we've confirmed that people like their soft drinks to have sugar in them, or in the case of your Diet Coke, your Pepsi Max, your Coke Zero, whatever whatever they have to, like, mine from the moon, or, like, mm. they've traded with the devil to taste sweet but isn't technically sugar, whatever is in those, <laughs> some of that at least, you can't have it without sugar. People, it's that sensation of cracking open the can and the sound and the fizziness. People will not accept if there's no sugar in that. Yeah, it's like alcohol-free beer, you know, which I'd quite like to enjoy. You don't realise how much difference it makes. It's like, it's something that gives you all the promise of, of, you know, the picture on the can, but it's just not, doesn't quite have the sting in the tail that you're after. Yeah, it's like um, gluten-free bread. It's it's all it's almost there. Mm. You know, I don't know why this is different, but... Yeah, and and to be fair, it is trying. And you've got to respect it for trying. I think with these zero sugar drinks, they're not trying. No. They're not trying at all. And there's almost a smugness like, oh, well, I think it's very refreshing, don't you? Oh, you must be a bit of a child then. Uh, It's just like, let's just have some water, guys. It doesn't need to be in this fancy can. We don't need all that fancy stuff about it. Let's just have a glass of water and leave these in the weird pop-up stand where where they came from. Yeah. And, I mean, it's just unsatisfying. If that's your only drink that you're stuck with as well, it's just neither here nor there. It's not where you want to be stuck yeah. with. Yeah. Okay. Well, unfortunately, you won't be without entertainment on the island. The plane's entertainment system continues to work, but just your luck, it only has two working settings. One is your least favourite film of all time, and the other is your least favourite song. What are they and why? Uh, so, for least favourite film... I don't know if I have a a film that I actively, actively loathe. So my most recent film that I saw where I was just perplexed at how bad it was was the movie Joy, um, which was directed by David O. Russell Mm -hmm. with Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper uh, about the lady who invents the wonder mop, the magical mop, came out (laughs) a couple of years ago. Um, I, I, I think David O. Russell... Uh, should be in prison. Um, I think he should go to jail for his films. I just think he's the clown prince of style over substance. I've given him three chances. I gave Silver Linings Playbook a go. I even gave American Hustle a go. And then as I walked out of joy, like as, as that kind of stunned bewilderment turned bubbled into anger... I thought, I will never go and see this man's films ever again. <laughs> and is Bradley Cooper in every single film he's done? He's done? Yeah, I think he's done quite a lot with Bradley Cooper and with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, she's in all three of those as well. That's weird, isn't and it? And to be honest, she kind of is the saving grace in all three of those movies. She's acting her ass off and she's doing a pretty good job. But Joy is Joy should be boring because it's about a lady who invents a mop. Mm. That's not what makes it bad. What makes it bad is just unbelievably woeful storytelling. <laughs> Side characters who just do not feel even remotely real. It, it opens with the narration of her grandmother being like... It's sort of like a rags to riches story mm. based on a true thing. But it opens with the narration of a grandmother being like, oh, when Joy was born, I always knew she was going to do great things. And it's just like halfway through the film, you're thinking, yeah, every grandmother thinks that about their kid. Like, what kind of what kind of opener is that? Like, obviously, you thought your grandkid was going to do well. Yeah. You're a nice lady. You're a supportive lady. It doesn't mean... She was destined to do anything. <laughs> and I, I haven't seen the film, but I mean, if you have a lucky break with an invention, I don't know if that's doing great things. I mean, that's like having one good idea that sort of flew. Pretty much. For me, it's, I mean, doing great things would be like, you know, something maybe humanitarian or something that really changes the world. If, if you just sort of think this mop could be better and then you manage to get it all the way through the sort of marketing and, and manufacturing process and you, you make a lot of money... I mean, you're successful and fair enough and well played, especially if you come from a hard up background. But is that great things? 
yeah, she's a humanitarian, that, but like only to the extent of raising money for herself, her kids and her parents, that kind of thing. Very, very close personal charity. <laughs> humanitarian in that a lot of people find it moderately less stressful to clean their kitchen floor now. Yeah, and I mean, go for it. Invent. Uh, you, 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 I appreciate you inventing that. I'm sure it's made a lot of people's lives easier. But it's, it's a very boring film. And what's worse is that um, the marketing for it was really bizarre because all of the marketing for it would have this image of Jennifer Lawrence with a short blonde bob haircut and a pair of sunglasses on. And then when you actually watch the film, you realise that all takes place in the last five minutes. In the last five minutes, she decides to cut her hair because that's the answer to everything in films, apparently. <laughs> and she cuts her hair short and dyes it and she's wearing sunglasses and she goes out into the street and the end of the movie is that. And I was so <laughs> angry that they used clips from the last images from the last five minutes to promote this film because it's just it's inaccurate. Also, it's just completely irrelevant. I sort of want to watch this, but almost, but I mean, you're doing a very good job of persuading me I shouldn't. It's just boring. Like, uh, but I found Silver Linings Playbook very boring, and I found American Hustle very boring. Mm. I just don't think nothing really happens in these films, but they've got all the bells and whistles to make you think that they are, and they're promoted very well, and he, he gets very big stars in his films, but mm. it is really really bad and i think you end up resenting films for being boring more than anything because i felt the same way about cats you know it wasn't entertainingly bad it was just boring yeah i think it's like at least if something's i mean there's a film recently i got i haven't done this in a long time but i got i think 15 minutes before the end and i just went i'm turning this off because it felt too early to switch it off at 20 minutes and then about 45 minutes i was like well there's still enough to change and then it got to the point i was like well there is only 15 minutes to go but i know that definitely nothing can save this now right that's it and i mean to get out at that point i just felt like you know i respect it yeah i respect that kind of sense of being like i will not late let this film take any more time from my life you know i've got a three-year-old child my evenings are very precious to me and i'm so indecisive that it usually takes me about 45 minutes to find something to watch so then i've got so little like it has to be really well well worth watching or i have to be beaten into submission by my own indecision that's what's really difficult about bad films these days because you you sit there especially if you've watched it if you're watching it at home on demand or if you've gone to the cinema you made the choice to watch that film and if at the cinema you're saying no to three or four other films at home you're saying no to hundreds of other options mm. that you could have watched and when you're coming out of it thinking that was not only bad it was really bad to the point where i'm quite angry you're resenting the fact that you might have watched something else which would have been you know really like illuminating or actually entertaining or even at the bare minimum good so i, I saw joy in the cinema and as i was walking out of it I was, my, my girlfriend and I just looked at each other. We hadn't said anything. And then there was just this sense of, that was terrible, right? That was yeah. really, really boring and meaningless and dragged on. And you think, oh, we could have seen something else. Could have seen something pretty good. But nope, gone forever. Or even just gone to the pub. Exactly. You know, just anything. Yeah, it feels like you've got a real... Sometimes you just have like almost like a like an evangelistic sort of vigour to to tell people to warn people off a film it's like whatever you do never watch this film ever it is so bad please don't do what i did exactly learn from my my experiences you know almost like a sort of missionary maybe i should be thanking david or russell for changing my perspective after that i think i go to the cinema less but i take my i I decide very carefully on films he's taken away a certain impulsive nature that i had but in in many ways i've learned from it and he's made me a stronger individual yeah, I had that the other day, finding something on Netflix, and I just saw something. I think, it, again, it had um, uh, what's his, Bradley Cooper in it, and it just looked like a sort of easy action film. And I thought, I'll put this on, and it said, directed by Michael Bay, and I thought, no, it's not, not going to happen. <laughs> you know. And that's after a lot of toing and froing, and I thought, finally, this will be easy. No, I can't. Sorry, sorry, can't. Yeah. 
Okay, well, that sounds fair enough. Uh, what would your favourite song be? Sorry, least favourite song. So my, uh, the, I think the worst song to be stuck on, it's kind of a category, but I've got a specific example in there. It's um, breathy covers of pop classics used on television adverts. Oh, yes, um, yes. It's, it's an epidemic. We're being overrun. Um, and I think the worst example of this was I saw a car advert or a perfume advert, something recently. Uh, we could never really tell what the advert's for until the very end. Um, but it, they had done a breathy acoustic cover of You're the One That I Want from Greece, <sighs> which I thought was like the, the worst song to do that for. This kind of jingly jangly musical theatre song that's got its entire essence, good or bad, is in its upbeat nature. Man. And it it's meaningless when you when you do it breathy acoustic because the lyrics don't mean anything. It's dreadful, isn't it? It's uh, yeah, it really just cuz a lot of fun pop songs don't live or die on their on their lyrics. You know, there's just all part of the fun and you don't pay too much attention to them. When it's things like there was a McDonald's one that used a you know, this is the rhythm of the night, that old 90s pop song, a sort of dancey oh, tune. Oh, God. And like, that's not meant to be slowed down and thought about. So uh, it's just awful. They, Yeah, they've got incredibly irresponsible with it. But unfortunately, I think some advertising agencies have figured out that it's you can't go wrong with it. Just get a pop classic, fork out the cash for it, pay some busker to do a breathy acoustic cover, and then you're golden. Uh, I think the the problem is maybe like 10 or 15 years ago when the French band Nouvelle Vague did a cover mm. of um, Love Will Tear Us Apart mm. and everybody heard it and were like, oh my, they were like, oh my God, Love Will Tear Us Apart, but sung in like a, a breathy, Frenchy, Parisian way. It's really lovely and louche. Oh, oh, this is great. And then Live Lounge came along and everyone got obsessed with covers again. Mm. And then X Factor and stuff where anybody can come along and take a pop classic and just do it in a really weird vocalizing way where they just loads of like unnecessary like elaboration on the vocal and instead of doing it in the original disco version it's just an acoustic guitar and we're supposed to be impressed by that and i think we finally need to realize that if you take away all of the things that make the song good it probably won't be good yeah it's it's one of those things because if you like the song the original song then they've ruined it by doing a cover. If you don't like it, well, it's just awful anyway. If I think, like, obviously John Lewis are the sort of, you know, the flag bearers for this genre, aren't they? Because, you know, now it's like, oh, what's their Christmas advert going to be? You know, which famous person are they going to get to do which version of which song now? But even then, it's, I mean, it's getting dated with them. And I just thought, like, every time I think this trend must surely be dying out. It's like the it's like the sort of advertising equivalent of like keep calm and carry on. I'll see someone using that motif and think, yeah. we can't keep doing this keep calm and carry on bollocks. It's still going on. And every time you see an advert with a breathy cover, you're like, are you are you serious? You're still doing this? It's bizarre. I think I I, I would almost forgive it of the Christmas adverts because they have this sense of plot mm. and they've worked. They basically spent a year coming up with this perfect thing, and then sometimes the song will be very complementary to that. But if it's just a you know an Audi driving through south of France with you're the one that I want from Greece over the top, yeah. <laughs> it's like a David Lynch film. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's just someone's gone. This is how adverts work now. It's yeah, it's just and you're just thinking, but why? Why that? <laughs> and it's this kind of and then he goes over sort of X Factor where. Um, it's really popular to do stuff like that, like something familiar, a, a song that people know, but doing it in a way that really shows off the fact that you can do mm. impressive stuff with your voice. But it's just like, it doesn't make it good music. No. You know, if you want to cover something, make it your own. You've yeah. just made it the same as all these other covers. And I always think there's probably a lot of musicians who they get this thing and they say to their mates, look, you know, this obviously isn't what I'd planned for my first gig, but, you know, like it's big money, you know, I'll, I'll be doing all right. And it gets my name out there and, um, yeah, it's for PC World and, you know, it'll just, you know, be a hook. 
and their friends are like, okay, well, as long as you know, you think they won't take advantage of you, yeah, go for it. You know, it could be a really good. And it's, of course, it's not. And everyone forgets about it. And then this person can't get a recording contract because they don't want to be known as the person who did the PC World advert. <laughs> there are no winners here. Yeah, I did. I did a cover, a breathy cover of the Monster Mash for this PC World ad, where it's just like a guy walking along, and then he opens up his laptop. He's in a graveyard, and he uses his laptop a bit. Uh, it didn't really make any sense. Uh, yeah they assured me it'll work in uh well, stitch it together in post but yeah i'm starting to have doubts um yeah breathy covers from adverts that's a very very good yeah. choice i think if you want to cover something get weird with it get energetic but don't do your, your whole breathy cover it's, it's boring it's been done and if you do it you're gonna i'm gonna scold you on a podcast <laughs> also what gets really annoying is when there's there's some that um then people think that's the real version of the song you know so there'll be slow versions of things like there's this um bonnie ver tune and they got covered by a sort of you know quite breathy singer songwriter type and then people think that's the that's the real song and that really bugs me as well not in a sort of like yeah. pretentious oh, man, muso way but just out of respect for the original that we all like and you know there's like a Metallica cover again done in a really breathy way and oh it's just just so annoying it can be really frustrating when you're trying not to be a musical purist but everyone's going on about Mm. uh, Valerie by Amy Winehouse and you're thinking I mean to be fair it was by the Zootons and then she covered it it's a very good cover Mm. example of a good cover Uh, but uh, you don't win many friends with the musical purist game Mm. yeah well, it would absolutely drive me mad, though. These, these. Uh, I tell you what. Uh, just because I think it's such a good category, I'll say uh, you can have a compilation of them to keep you company on the island. Oh God! Now that's what I call breathy covers, volume six hundred. Man. <laughs> now, uh, finally, the island is overrun by the biggest dick of all the animals. Which animal is it, and why? Um, I'm gonna go for uh, monkeys. Okay. Uh. Now, I've been to a couple of countries where you can go see monkeys or there'll be like a, a, a part of town where there's lots of monkeys in the trees and stuff. And they they seem like a proper laugh. Like, I think everything about our media kind of makes us think that monkeys are really funny and friendly and they're like humanoid and they've they got, you know, they the way they eat their food, they look like little mm. people, it's really cute. But they can and will rip your face off. Mm. And I don't like when animals can seem really cute and playful and could kind of lure you in a, into a false sense of safety and security uh, and then just straight up scalp you they are intimidating creatures aren't they you never know what's gonna what they're gonna do yeah with a snake at least we're all just like petrified of snakes mm. get them away yeah you know, i'm not gonna stick around and look at a snake nope they're bad news spiders as well most bugs especially if you're in a country where they've got like things that can bite and kill you mm. you can stay away from those monkeys there is a sense of that they're, they're pretty funny they're pretty cool uh, uh but they just don't know what they can do and they they're about half the size of a human so they're bigger than your average animal so they could definitely fuck you up a bit and i just find that incredibly unsettling and they're fast and agile and strong as well aren't they oh yeah yeah and unpredictable I don't like it. I've been to a few places where there's just been monkeys wandering around. And at first you think this is great. But yeah, like they've got the worst of both worlds because they've kind of got the cunning intelligence and calculated mindset of a human. But they've got the lack of moral code of an animal. Completely. But then at least with like, you know, a lot of the places where there are wild monkeys also have stray dogs. And at least a dog sort of still in the back of its mind, however sort of wild and rabbit rabbit it is, it still kind of knows that ultimately you're the boss. So if you stand up to it, it will sod off. Whereas a monkey thinks it's better than you anyway. Yeah. You know, so it will kill you if it wants to. It's just, you just, oh, they're terrifying. They just, and to be like there, I think there are relatively few accounts of that thing, the thing for the amount of monkeys that there are. They don't tend to go that crazy that often. But there's just something incredibly unsettling about the fact that they might. Yeah. Uh, and this isn't like a domestic cat or anything which will eat your face after you've died. Yeah. They'll go for you just for no reason. <laughs> yeah, you just can't tell what's happening. And 
Yeah, I'd, I'm not comfortable around them. I think I've been to places in India where they've got like quite big ones as well that are just they're just about they're just you know on the rooftops. You're having a cup of tea, and they're just suddenly you look up. You're reading a book and you look up and there's 13 of them around you and you think, I'm never getting out of this alive if they turn on me. Yeah, the the way that they kind of congregate, um, almost as if like like birds would. With birds, there's just nothing scary about them. It's weird to see 50 pigeons, but you know that yeah, I'm the boss, you're not going to do anything. But there's just 13 of them and you think, oh, if you guys unionize, I'm done for. Yeah. If there's a mutiny here, you've, you're going to have my head on a stick. And again, one of those animals where because they're so like us there's not really like i don't know certain animals you could escape by i don't know jumping into water or climbing a tree like they're good at every every kind of bit of landscape aren't they oh yeah yeah and and to be and, and, on, and on an island that's their home turf they're gonna know all the little yeah the little bits and pieces also you're going to be competing with them for all of the food that you want they're they're frugivores like us so they're going to be going for the bananas and all the the, the the easy fruit and stuff so if we find a nice tree you think oh there's some peaches on that tree nope the monkeys want it that's their tree you're going to struggle to fight them yeah they'll get in they'll grab it they'll run off put it somewhere high up that you can't get to it yeah yeah and there'll there'll never be a sense of subservience that you might get if you got a dog that will kind of it will know that it can get food from you but it will usually wait until you're finished you know if you train it with yeah. the monkeys just yeah as, as I say all the worst parts of a human and animal in one package yeah if, you, if you're on an island that's overrun by monkeys it's a good sign I'm sure that because they're surviving so you'll probably survive as well uh, but once once you eat all the bananas you're their dinner yeah yeah I think that's yeah. It's a, a very well thought out uh, choice there, and I'm, um, I didn't really know how how uh, strongly I felt about monkeys until we until we started talking about it. But I think I might hate monkeys. Yeah, they're just they're not. They're, it's nice that they're not a problem here. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Monkeys in London. Can you imagine? Christ. I mean, the, I think it would be monkeys versus pigeons for a year, and then we don't have to deal with one of them. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, well, I think you've you've done an excellent job of picking a horrendous group of uh, people and things to be stuck on an island with. So, uh, so well done. It's, it's quite unsettling now. I think about it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of. I re- now I really don't like this this mental like prison that I've formed. <laughs> well, you've you've done very well, and that's it's to your credit. But uh, that's why it's such an uncomfortable image to live with. Um, now, Rajiv, uh, where can we find out more about? Where can we sort of hear or see or uh, encounter more of your work? Well, uh, thanks to thanks to lockdown, my um, my upcoming plans to do a, a show uh, Edinburgh uh, have been postponed. Mm. So, uh, if you could, people can follow me on Twitter, it's at Rajiv A. Carrier. Or on Instagram, it's uh, Rajiv Carrier. Uh, or you can, can watch, uh, I was in a, um, a web series for Turtle Canyon Comedy uh, called Content. Uh, you can watch that on YouTube or you can watch it on London Live. Uh, uh, it, it'll be on Catch Up on there. We, But um, apart from that, uh, just uh, keep doing you. Stay indoors. Wash your hands. Um, get get into skipping. I've been skipping. It's been pretty good. I've been skipping as well. Brilliant. It's quite fun, isn't it? I'm enjoying it. We're going to be pros after this. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Not quite at the rocky stage yet, but um, you know, eventually. That's that is the dream. I don't think I'm, I'm not going to show anybody until I'm at the rocky stage. Yeah, I know. It's it's one of those things. I think it only looks good when you can do it well. I think the bits leading up to it, you look. I mean, I mean, I could still be outclassed by a young schoolgirl, but um, one day. Cool, Rajiv. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much. All right, take care. Bye bye.